0: Hi, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today, we're going to talk about the supercharged secret of being your own superhero. Research has shown that even pre-verbal babies as young as six months are drawn to superheroes, and this fascination continues into adulthood. People are inspired by superheroes who often feel different, isolated, and even disenfranchised. But then they're able to turn their painful experiences into superpowers to become their best selves, help others, and enrich the worlds they live in. And the great thing is anyone can be their own superhero and take control, gain confidence, boost self-esteem, and inspire others to do the same. And today's guest is the perfect person to enlighten all of us on this subject because she is a superhero through and through. On screen, she is a successful actress and currently in her breakout role as Nia or Dreamer from the CW hit series, Supergirl. And off screen, she is a transgender rights activist working tirelessly to provide education and to fight for respect and justice for the trans community. She won the landmark Maine Supreme Judicial Court court case regarding gender identity and bathroom use in schools when she was just a teenager at 16 or 17 years old. So please welcome Nicole Maines. Yay. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. I am so excited to talk to you. Your life is amazing. You are so well spoken. Oh my God. Thank you. And you're still so young. It's just blows my mind. Um, Some people just develop much faster than the rest of us, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, I uh, think, first of all, I'm a huge fan of superhero comics, movies, TV shows. Did you ever think that your breakout role as a young actress would be to be a real superhero on television?
1: Not at all. I mean, (laughs) I feel like being a superhero is just kind of like what we all kind of like, or for me anyway, that's what I strive for. I'm like, God, to be a superhero, that's got to be where the bar is set, right? Like that's got to be where the goalposts are. So being able to be a superhero is just kind of like a dream come true. What I love, and I got to hand it to
0: the showrunners, Supergirl, just the development of it all, that they really are championing the cause of just Featuring diversity, and you are the first trans superhero featured on primetime TV. I mean, no one has done it before. And what has the response been like so far to your character when you meet people at these conferences, at Comic Con, you know, when people get to talk to you?
1: It's so cool. It's been so amazing. And, you know, when I was first introduced at Comic Con, I was so nervous and I was so terrified because I was kind of like, oh, God, are we ready? Are people going to be excited for this or am i going to get this response of like well there go the liberals again trying to shove stuff down our throat and it was just so overwhelmingly positive and and i was so ready to experience all the transphobia that i really didn't um with with dreamer i think for the most part everyone has really been supportive of her as a character and they've been really on board with dreamer I'm, i mean of, of, of course with within reason you know i feel like the response to nia has been very um polar opposites either people love her and they're like oh man she is one of my favorites uh she is she she's awesome uh, or it's you know like she's boring why is she there she's just there to be a token Why yeah. do we need her and so it's, it's one of the two, but one of them is, you know, much, much, uh, much larger percentage of the audience. Well, and I think the support that you
0: have been getting, and I think it's an increasing amount of support too, is that the fact is in entertainment, it is used oftentimes as a way to educate people.
1: It just is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and superheroes, and- especially. Yeah, exactly.
0: And so I think it's great because for people who might have had misunderstandings about what it means to be a trans person or or the types of issues that might come up with people who are part of the trans community, in some ways, watching a show, a fictionalized show, it's still a way for them to get exposure. And when people get exposure, oftentimes they change their minds if they were closed-minded before. Because somehow entertainment is like less... It feels like it's less intimidating maybe to understand. It is.
1: It's easier to learn something from the comfort of your own home, on your own couch, watching something on a Sunday night. And it's much easier and less intimidating to deal with these issues, you know, through the lens of superheroics.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I love the other projects that you've been involved in as well. You recently starred in the film Bit. So tell us about your character
1: in that. Oh my god, I love it so much. It, it is such a fun movie. So I play Laurel, who is a young trans woman who's just graduated high school. She's very kind of think like Daria. She's very over it, you know. She's she's from this small town. Everyone knows her business. She wants nothing more than to be a small fish in in a big pond. It just kind of be anonymous for a second. And so she goes to visit her brother in Los Angeles. And her first night there, she, you know, she meets this super sexy vampire at a, at a club. And so she goes to this after hours party with her, they hook up afterwards, gets bit, thrown off a roof, wakes up in a dumpster, which I mean, come on, we've all been there, but (laughs) wakes up in a dumpster and now she's a vampire. And so she falls in with this group of intersectional feminist queer vampires and the whole film is about her crisis of conscience and her struggling with her morality because you know she's kind of come into this with this, you know, kind of um, apathetic. Like, oh God, I just I, I hate everyone. I just want to like everyone's stupid. Now she's like, everyone's stupid. but I don't know if I want to kill them. Mm-hmm. And then also on on the flip side of that, it's also dealing with you know power. And it's dealing with, you know, people in power abusing it. And, you know, who is responsible for that? And of course, going into the film, you know, you're kind of, you're led to expect, it's like, oh, you know, men can't handle power. You know, girl power. Girls are the ones who have the power. And then as you move through the film, you know, you kind of learn with Laurel that someone's marginalized identity does not exempt them from being an asshole. Mm -hmm. And that is something Laurel learns the hard way.
0: I think it's a great perspective to really talk about how power, especially if someone's not ready or if it falls in the wrong hands, or maybe if they have been disenfranchised at some point, that Mm -hmm. anybody could potentially abuse it at first until they have the recognition.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It's, 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 I mean, all of that aside, it's just a fun Movie. I mean, who doesn't love you know gay vampires and blood orgies? I oh my mean, gosh. listen, honey, that's my Thursday night, right?
0: I mean, I'm a huge fan. Aside from being a huge fan of superhero movies and films and TV shows, I also love vampire movies so and TV fun. shows. True it is Blood. so
1: fun! I, I love True right? Blood. <laughs> it, I know it is. I want nothing more than to be. <laughs> Kristen Bauer in True Blood. That's all <laughs> I want for myself. Her character was insane. It was she the was so, such a badass. I know. Um, but yeah, so it's it's such a fun movie, and it's all kind of about like studying, like you know, you are in control of your own behavior, and it's her struggling with this crisis of conscience, her wrestling with her own selfishness, because, and that's what I loved about her character so much was that she is not. Presented as this perfect, you know, like chosen one kind Mm -hmm. of character. She is not, you know, the trans savior of all vampires. She is not all knowing. She is not perfect. She is kind of a shitty person. Mm -hmm. She's selfish. She's 17. She kind of, you know, tosses her, throws her best friend under the bus, screws her brother over um, screws many people over lies all the time and just makes bad decision after bad decision, but you're with her through the whole thing. And cause you're yeah. like, we've all been 17. We've all been yeah. in a situation we don't understand. And she's just doing her best. And she, I mean, she learns her lesson at the end and she overcomes her selfishness. And, you know, she learns that, you know, who being a man being a woman being cis being trans being straight being gay Mm -hmm. doesn't give anybody a free pass right you know it's not an excuse to be in her words a dickhead yeah yeah so it's it's like she says you know control your own behavior and you'll be fine and and that's one of the messages i really like from the movie that you know because i think a lot of us it's very easy especially in marginalized communities, as we're in the thick of this fight, as we're fighting for our rights, as we're fighting to gain rights, uh, maintain rights, it's really easy to feel justified yes. in, in um, aggressive behavior. It's really easy to feel justified in, you know, being kind of vicious. And I think this was a really good lesson in kind of being like, no, you can still very well be in the wrong Mm -hmm. There, there is no such thing as, well, it's, it's like, everyone thinks they're the good guy, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but it is very possible for both parties to be the bad guy. And that's what I really like. That's what I really like about this movie. Um, because I mean, going into it, it's the, the vampires are like, we are not a movement. We're a terrorist organization at best. (laughs) <laughs> and, it's know, just a really fun movie. It plays around in the dark a lot. It's bloody. It's gay. It's it's got a killer soundtrack. It's um, it's it shot beautifully, um, and it's written so amazing. It was written directed by um, by Brad Michael Elmore, and he just he's just like this super awesome, cool rock and roll dude. And he was just like, what about Lost Boys, but with Gem in the Holograms? Like, it's so cool. And, and like I said, perfect quarantine movie. So people need to check it out
0: because it sounds Absolutely. like not only is it entertaining, it can be educational. And I love the, Absolutely. I love the entertainment pieces that just wrestle with the complexities of morality. You know, I, I love the new shows now that really show you that even the protagonists, they have faults, you know, the protagonists sometimes you're, you feel like, Hey, you're kind of being a shitty person right now. And totally that's my favorite kind of film. And that's my favorite kind that. of, kind of TV show because that's all of us.
1: Absolutely. And it's so much more interesting to watch. And just from an acting perspective, it's so much more interesting to portray mm-hmm. because I'm like, people are three dimensional. People have highs and they have lows and no one's the good guy all the time. You know, all of us have a tendency to kind of get petty once in a while, um, yeah. get vindictive, get um, aggressive, be mean. We all do it. And so I think having main characters kind of explore that is just, it's a lot more compelling to watch. I mean, we just did it on Supergirl um, in the episode Reality Bites, um, which I, I mean, I just love to do because we got to tackle the topic of trans violence. And, and so that was just an incredible episode to be a part of. But I loved it because it really showed Nia as a character who we've seen as being a very upbeat and very positive and being this kind of pillar of light Mm -hmm. Just totally descend into the darkness and knowingly be like, oh no, I'm going to commit murder and I'm not going to apologize for it.
0: Right. Right. And so
1: seeing her just completely do this 180 shift that we all totally understand because, you know, we see her roommate get attacked. We see this horrible, hateful message written to Dreamer. And it's pretty much like, hi, I'm going to keep attacking trans people until, you go into hiding because I don't like trans people. Mm -hmm. That would send anybody over the edge. And so it was really, really... um, I liked getting to kind of explore that side of Nia. Um, Because it just... It can only flesh out a character further and it can only provide them with more depth. Yes, and speaking of depth, you've actually... Thought about
0: a lot of this stuff early on. I mean, I talked about how mature and how um how well spoken you are. I think it's because you've actually been through a lot in your life already. And she's seen a couple things. Yep. And so I think, you know, some of the connections between you and Nia. So Nia's character, she's actually an alien from the planet Naltor. And she's mm-hmm. a part of this race, and part of the women in this race, they develop this power of precognition. And that's part of why her alter ego is. Dreamer. But when we go back to your childhood, this idea of being different, you know, being different from what you saw around you, you realize very early on that something didn't feel right. Your assigned sex at birth was male. But mm-hmm. when did you begin to realize, no, my brain, my brain is not male. Something's not right here,
1: yeah, very early. really as early as I can remember, um because I have an identical twin brother, Jonas. um And it was really the same time that he was feeling secure in all of his sort of um, masculinity and, 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 you know, boy things. I was experiencing like, oh, I do not feel the same way he feels. I was very, as soon as I could kind of understand the difference between male and female, I knew which side of the spectrum I was leaning towards more. And to me, it just felt like the most natural thing in the world. I was just because it's like that innocent bravery that I think a lot of kids have. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, because we just go with what we feel until we're told that something is wrong. And so for me, I knew what felt natural. I knew what felt right. It was purely instinctual. And for me, I thought it was normal. I was just like, "Oh, this happens all the time. There's just been some mix up upstairs. Something got filed wrong. Like, this is no, <laughs> no problem. Like, this is an easy fix." So I just went to my parents and I was like, "When do I get to be a girl?" I fully expected like this was just something that happened to people, and you know, there was a uh, there was a fix for this, and and I I, I knew I was going to be a girl. Like, there, that was not a question. It was just a matter of when, not if. Mm-hmm. And it How wasn't until three or four years old. Mm -hmm. It was just very, um, it was just the most natural thing in the world to me. And it was through people's reactions that I realized, oh, this isn't normal. Like this isn't what people, what everyone's going through. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the truth for a lot of, a lot of trans children is we all kind of know what's up and it's just as we get older, we're taught that that's, you know, supposed to be wrong.
0: Yeah. And I would say that from my perspective as a clinician, working with the trans community, these are the stories that I hear that people knew very young. So sometimes people are surprised by that. I'm sure that people have said, wow, you knew when you were three or four, but I would say that that's actually more common than people would think. Totally, And, And we see this because I think, again, because of the misunderstandings of all of this, you know, Absolutely. Your body and your brain in terms of development can totally go in different directions. And now we have more research that shows that just because biologically you're born with male parts, your brain and your understanding of your gender and your gender identity it can be very different and there's biological evidence for those differences you know we find that in the trans community um the brain looks different in terms of mm-hmm. structural differences functional differences even the gene studies are saying hey there's something to this people who say i feel like a boy versus i feel like a girl basically what we see is that their brains look more like the identity they identify with absolutely
1: yeah it's a gut instinctual feeling and and I can't tell you how many times I, I just hear like, oh, you are far too young to understand the complexities of sex and gender. You don't, I, when I was 18, I didn't even know who I was yet. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm fairly confident that you knew whether or not you were a boy or a girl. Yes. Like that is not a complex issue to grasp. Um, and it's, I think for a lot of trans people, that's how it goes. And we understand at a young age, and we're just kind of gaslit into yes. thinking, "Oh, this is wrong. oh, I'm yes.
0: making it up.
1: Oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's just so many all the adults in our life trying to drill in this cycle of you know, you don't you are not allowed to resist conformity. You are not allowed yeah. to um be and be different and yeah. so it, we're, we're just kind of told over and over again, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. So eventually we're just sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just, I, yeah, I'm a boy. I'm just feeling weird feelings.
0: Right. And
1: then, you know, cut to 20 years, 20, 30 years later. And you're like, oh no, I was right. They were just assholes. Yeah. And it's not even assholes. They were just they were victims of the same cycle of thinking. They were they were told yeah. how to think one way. They were told like, no, conformity is what you do. You know, you do not, gender is a binary. Gender is not a spectrum. You know, you, you are one thing. You are not allowed to deviate from that. You know, you are what we say you are. Right. And so it's just kind of passed down and, and it's just breaking that way of thinking that it's like, no. You are valid in how you feel. Yeah. You, you know your identity better than somebody else does. Right. And I am so glad that we're talking
0: about this because even though the research is in its infancy, what we find is that gender does exist more or less on a spectrum. It's not binary. Absolutely. That's why there are people who don't identify only as male or female, but there's also gender queer, gender fluid, non-binary. Totally. And it reflects the state of the science. And in this world that still misunderstands, I am proud of our profession, psychologists and psychiatrists, Mm -hmm. that we have now talked about this as gender dysphoria because people sometimes become depressed or anxious because their assigned gender doesn't match the way they see themselves and society has a different expectation. And I think that's that's the main issue because in the past people would say, oh, this is a gender identity disorder. No, the disorder is not that you feel different. The, the mm-hmm. problem is you feel anxious, sad, Totally, Because people don't understand you and you feel like you're constantly having to prove yourself.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I cannot think of a lot of stuff that's more stressful than that.
0: Yeah. Especially when it's something that seems so basic, as you mentioned, this is not it is about so
1: easy. It is. So it, the hard part is trying to unlearn this mm-hmm. way of thinking that we've been taught that trans is this bad, scary, perverted thing. Yeah, And so trying to unlearn all of these years of stereotypes, trying to unlearn all of that. That's the hard part. And, and the way I always look at it as far as, you know, gender being a spectrum going is I'm like, there are seven, eight billion people on this planet. Mm-hmm. You have designed two boxes yeah. to rigidly cram eight billion identities into. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen one of those videos of, um, it's like seven different women with different body types try on a one size fits all dress and it doesn't fit anybody. hmm I feel Mm -hmm. like that's how gender is. I feel like we've designed these two specifically shaped boxes and just told everybody in the world, all right, wear Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. And so we can't be surprised when someone's like, hey, this don't fit.
0: Yeah, this doesn't feel becoming on me. Um,
1: Absolutely. absolutely. I'm like, this this does not match my hips or my gender identity.
0: Right, right. You're like, something's wrong here. Um, Absolutely. So you actually were more fortunate in terms of your immediate family. I know some trans individuals, I mean, they really had a much tougher time, even convincing their inner circle. Um, Mm -hmm. But actually, you were able to start the transitioning process, I think you said maybe in the first grade, because your parents did support it. So tell me about what that process was like, kind of getting them on board and how was that for you, especially having this identical twin
1: brother who was a boy, you know, doing boy things. So what was that like? So for me, I was very, very fortunate in that my parents were never outright belligerent or malicious towards me. And they were never like, you're wrong and you're going to hell for feeling this way. I started transitioning very, very early because my parents understood what living as a boy was doing to me. You know, I was six, seven years old and I had severe... Anger and anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. just like you said, because having to constantly uh, try to convince other people of your existence and of your truth is the most stressful and and anxiety inducing thing ever. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of uh, not good feelings yes. uh, going into first and second grade. So my parents were kind of like, okay, well maybe we'll lean into this a little bit. So I started wearing pink and i started you know growing my hair out the year after that and slowly you know each year we we added on a new step in the transition and the further we got just the the more i brightened up and and the and the less that stress and anxiety went down and the happier i was and my parents kind of thought okay well maybe there is something to this you know maybe letting our child exist the way that he wants to exist or how she wants to exist maybe that's the way to go. You know, do I want to have a happy daughter or a miserable son? I underwent transition. I started hormone blockers when I was 11. Otherwise I would look exactly like my identical twin brother. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Jonas is very handsome. Not for me. I couldn't pull it off. (laughs) So I did that. And then at 14, I started taking hormones you know, after having years and years and years of counseling. Mm-hmm. And then I had uh, gender reassignment surgery at 17. And all of this was with permission and guidance from medical professionals and having long discussions, many, many long discussions with counselors, because if there's one thing we want to make sure, it's that trans people know what they're talking about, and know what they're getting themselves into, because we don't already know. And and I'm like, no, it was in no way abuse. The hoops that trans people have to jump through just to be themselves. I'm like, that is not for the faint of heart. And yeah. I would not have done that if I was not absolutely positive. Because you did
0: this very gradually and thoughtfully, I know that you had supporters, but you also had haters through the process. So as you were gradually transitioning through elementary school, how did the kids respond? Were you bullied? Did you have good friends? How did this all work for you?
1: So for the most part, the response was very, very good because I think because we did it so gradually, nobody was like shocked. Yeah. Also, even before we really started the transition I was introducing myself as trans to everyone I was like hi I'm a boy who wants to be a girl what's you know what's your name (laughs) I I was not subtle in the least I couldn't keep a secret um because I was it was that again that brave innocence it was like I didn't know it was a secret I should be keeping yeah I was just like this is my truth this is who I am you know Um, deal with it
0: and I think that bravery is important because yeah as we get older we sometimes become more fearful and more aware of people's judgments. So you started oh, young. Yeah.
1: So you're just like this is the way I am. Yeah coming yeah coming out when I was younger versus coming out older. Yeah. Significant one is significantly harder than the other. I think so. You know by now people have learned hate. People have learned um They've learned how to swear correctly. They've learned how to hurl insults correctly. So anything that someone my age can say to me now will be more hurtful than what a second grader could come up with. Right. And, and you know, so they've learned all of this hate. And so it's much more intimidating trying to come out with somebody now. And I mean, don't even get me started on coming out and dating. That's like a whole thing. Oh my gosh. I mean, listen, we could have a whole
0: podcast just about that. Do you tell people that you're trans when you're dating them? When you're, I do. And when do you tell them
1: first date? I, I tell them from the jump before the first date, before anything, I'm like, listen, I'm not going into this with any pretenses. When I was on Tinder, it was like right there in the beginning of the header. I was like, listen. And, and, and before that I would, after I started doing activism and after, after I had, um, some experience in that. And I had a little bit of, um, notoriety going, I'd I'd start kind of making a game of it. And I'd be like, if I liked a person, I'd be like, all right, Google me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're Um, like, my life story
0: is on Google somewhere.
1: Pretty much. I'm like, all right. You like me? Watch my TED talk.
0: (laughs) Do you personally date men, women, or both? And what's men and how do people respond in general? Are they, do they get really, extra curious about everything or sometimes they're shocked and they back away. It's been
1: pretty, it's been pretty good. Um, I I haven't done the dating scene in four years. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, so I, (laughs) I don't, I haven't (laughs) done it in a minute. Um, she, she'd been out of the game, (laughs) but when I, when I was, I, I would, I would really not really talk about it with anyone. I wasn't kind of interested in pursuing. I was like, and by then I was, I kind of knew how that person was. And so the conversations were pretty positive because I already kind of knew that, okay, this is a good person. This is someone that I am comfortable talking about this with. Yeah. And if I, if I get weird vibes from somebody, I'm not going to entertain their questions. Right. Again, if you decide that you want to have your story, you
0: want to share it, you know, it's a concerted decision. Like I'll talk to you about it. If you're just going to ridicule me and- Bully yeah. me for it because they're adult bullies too. Um, I'm going to move on. And you have Absolutely. been, you have been the victim of bullying in the past, and in fact, that is what led you to being involved in this landmark case in mm-hmm. Maine. So tell me about that because it all started with a incident in the girls' bathroom when you were just mm-hmm. in
1: as fifth grade. all incidents surrounding civil rights seem to do. The story starts in a bathroom in the fifth grade. Did you even think that this would happen to you,
0: that you would no. basically get harassed in the bathroom? You were just minding your own business, going to the girls' no. bathroom? Well, because... Everything
1: everything up until that point had been so great. I mean, of course, I'd had bullies and I, I couldn't use the bus because I kept ca- being called it on the bus. But the majority of the girls in my class were supportive and were my friends. And we got along and and they all knew I was no kind of threat to anybody. Um, and, and so I never expected to have a problem with any of the girls and I did it. It ended up being a a boy Mm. and I was, and so that was not something I saw coming at all. And that day is just a complete blank space in my mind. I remember, I remember him coming into the bathroom. I remember he used the second stall, did his business. And I remember the teacher coming in like, red and dragging him out. And I just didn't say anything. I was like, what the fuck just happened? Mm -hmm. Sorry. I don't know if I can swear. (laughs) Oh, Oh, you can swear. It's fine. But he was in the girls' bathroom. He came in and he was in the girls' bathroom. bathroom. He came in and his whole thing was, oh, we don't have to have any faggots in our school. Wow. I had never heard that word. And I was in fifth grade and I was like, what's going on? And I, after that, I was in the guidance counselor's office with, with my friends and they'd, seen the whole thing and and they and they said yeah he's been calling you a faggot behind your back and I'd never heard that word before. I had no idea what it meant and I don't remember the rest of that day. I think I went back to class. After that, I don't remember the rest of that day. Um but my mom says I, I just came home in full tears. Yeah. It sounded like a lot of trauma that maybe
0: you've blocked out some of it like <laughs> don't remember some of the details, but how do you feel like the school responded? Cause sometimes I feel like people are trying to do the right thing, but maybe they actually make it worse sometimes, you know? So, yeah.
1: well, so what happened with the school was this boy's grandfather was a part of this special interest Christian right group at the time. It was called the Christian civic league of Maine. Mm. And they had a prop and pretty much they pressured the school with a lawsuit saying, we're going to sue you because why are you letting this boy use the girl's bathroom, but not, you know, our, our buddy's grandson. Mm. And so the school was like, Oh, Oh, uh, I see your point. We'll, um, we won't do anything. And so they pretty much were like, okay, so if Nicole using the girl's bathroom is the issue, we'll just pull Nicole from the girl's bathroom. And so Mm. they stuck me in the staff bathroom and, they sent a message to the rest of the students, to the rest of the families and to the community, pretty much saying, hey, here's this student who is so different from you that she cannot be allowed to exist in the same public spaces. And people picked up on that message. And we started getting trouble from families we had never had before. Because of course, when the people in charge start you know, making rules, the people who follow them pick up on that. Right. And
0: so- eventually your family actually decided to sue for discrimination, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So all this happened in fifth grade. And so by the time I'm in sixth grade, the boys followed me into the girls' bathroom again. After a certain point, I was kind of like, you know what? Screw these guys. I'm using the girls' bathroom again. This is baloney. <laughs> yeah. Um, and everything was going well. And all the girls were like, oh, you're back? Awesome. I, th- I think the teachers knew I was using the girls' bathroom again. They didn't say anything. Because the teachers were the ones who knew which bathroom I was supposed to be in. They saw me every day. They knew, you know, what, what my deal was. And when the boy followed me into the bathroom again, I was back in the principal's office with her giving me this look. And she was like, you knew you weren't supposed to go in there. And I was like, and what, bitch?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and so then they gave me a bodyguard and they called it the eyes on program. Oh. And pretty much it was a grown adult following me around anywhere I went, listening to my conversations and making sure I was using the right bathroom.
0: Oh, that's a perfect uh, punishment for a teenager is to be followed around by Not an adult. a teenager,
1: a 10 year old. <laughs> you were 10. Oh my God. I was like 10 and I was uh, having this adult follow me around because I'm like, yes, that's what every middle schooler wants. Yeah. A grown person following them around, drawing attention to them. Right. Perfect. Cause that's I already what, that's don't feel different kid, enough. Totally, yeah. That's what the trans kid wants more attention drawn to her. And if I wanted to go to the bathroom from class, I would be stopped at the door and my teacher would tell me to wait for whoever was following me that day. Cause it was someone different every day oh. and they would listen to my conversations. I remember I'd once failed a science test. I was just feeling terrible. I was talking to my friend the walkers. And I was like, Oh, I could, I could just die. I just want to, I just want to end it all. Cause I did poorly on a, on a test. next thing I know, a guidance counselor was giving me a talk about suicide. And I'm like, oh, you would just love that, wouldn't you, if the trans kid killed herself? You would love that, wouldn't you? Well, you're not going to get out of here. I was like, what What am I doing here? Because, of course, my bodyguard had been following me around and listening. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just failed a test. And there was so the middle school and the high school was all one building. Mm-hmm. in that town and in the whole building, there was one gender neutral bathroom. And so no matter where I was in the entire building, I had to go to this bathroom and they would wow. call ahead to wherever we went to a field trip and they would say, Hey, we have this student. She looks like a girl. Don't let her use the girl's bathroom, you know, in, in, in your museum or in your, and not even where it has a gender neutral bathroom. And it's so crazy
0: because basically they were pre-labeling you before you even went to any place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, they were, they were the, the, the school rules were being applied to everywhere. I couldn't use the girls' bathroom anywhere. I went on a school function and students started policing me. I remember I went to a play in the high school on like a Saturday or something, the doors to the middle school were closed. Mm -hmm. So in the high school, there was no gender-neutral bathroom. The only gender-neutral bathroom was in the middle school section of the school, and that was closed off this evening. And so I went to go to the bathroom, I went to go to the girls' bathroom. What else am I going to use? The boys' bathroom? No. Mm-hmm. So I go to go in, and these girls in my class stopped me, and they're like, no, 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 you're not allowed to come in here. The oh. school says you can't be in here. So, I, I mean, I went in anyway. I called them assholes, and I went in anyway. But I was, so, so like, other kids were starting to, police me on which bathroom I should be using. And the final straw was, I was a member of the outing club and we were supposed to go on a whitewater rafting camping trip. I was so excited. All of my friends were going. My brother was going. All of his friends were going. It was going to be great. And they said, yeah, no, Nicole can go. She just can't stay in a tent with the other girls. And mind you, these are the girls who I have been having sleepovers with since Mm -hmm. second grade. We've all been, we've slept in the same bed before and we can't even sleep in the same tent. Wow. And we were like, okay. And and my parents through all of this, were trying to do whatever they could to work with the school and reestablish this cooperation we had when I first started transitioning because, because it had been really great when we started and everyone was working together and asking questions and it was going great. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, well, what if we get a petition signed? What if all, what if we sign a permission slip? All the kids are going, say, what if all their parents say it's okay if Nicole stays in a tent with the girls? No, 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 no. That won't work. That won't work. Mm. And so that was really the final straw. when we realized like, okay, yeah, no, they are not going to budge. They do not want Nicole to be using the girl's bathroom. They're just going to keep, keep this up.
0: Right. And as all legal battles go, this one went on for a few years before you finally yeah. got the winning verdict, which is amazing. Yeah. So in 2014, the main judicial court ruled that school district actually violated a human rights act because they can't ban you as a transgender student to access bathrooms that are consistent with your gender identity. So Mm -hmm. yeah, this was a huge, this was a landmark decision. So absolutely. How did it feel when you finally got this win after these years of struggle?
1: It was, I mean, first of all, it's just a huge weight lifted off your shoulders because you know, after you've been in this court case for so long, that just becomes your normal and when my mother texted me that we'd won the case, I genuinely thought she was talking like she'd won some, su- some suitcase in a sweepstakes. And I'm like, why do you think I care? And then I was like, oh, the case, the court case we've been in for five years. Right. Oh! <laughs> and then it was just like this, it was validating. It, it's, yeah. it's so validating to have a state Supreme Court say, just validate what you were feeling and say, Know what happened to you was wrong. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't have happened to you. And so, just to have that recognition, and after having to fight this battle for five years, and go to these hearings, and and because I went and I listened to the to the school's arguments and hearing how they talked about me, I was like, like I like I hadn't even gone there. Like I wasn't a student. Like I wasn't the student who the principal smiled at every day in this in the hallways. Mm-hmm. Like. And then just, just go in and, and, and misgender me and be like, Oh, this student is a danger. Yada. yada. I'm like, that's such the That's, that's so not how, how any of this happened. And so just to have a state Supreme Court say, no, you are right. They were wrong to do that because through yeah. all of this, since this happened in 2007, 2005, the main human rights act listed sexual orientation and gender identity as a protected class. Right. So if they just known the law, if they just Mm -hmm. had a gender inclusive policy on the books, they could have referenced that law when this group threatened them. And they could have been like, hey, no, you go ahead, sue us. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're following the law. Right. But there's still so many schools in Maine, despite having this on the books, Despite after this court case and all of the press surrounding it, I still get messages from kids in Maine being like, my principal won't let me use the right bathroom. And I'm like, I did not fight a five-year lawsuit, not live with my father for six years, for some principal in the middle of nowhere to feel like he's hot shit and tell a trans student what he can and can't do. Right. So it's just all about, like, how do we enforce this? How do we... I'm like, do we send the, the gay protection squad to just schools around the country and be like, Hey, everyone using the bathroom they want to be using good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's something that people don't know about your story, that you actually had to, because of everything that was going on, you had to separate from your dad, you Mm -hmm. because he had a job that he had to still live in that area for, but Mm -hmm. you had to go to a different school. So you and your mom and your brother had to live separately from your dad for six years while all of this was going on. So you could have some level of normalcy in your life. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, we, we we packed up and we moved two and a half hours south away from my dad. And we only saw him on weekends. Oh. Um, for six years, and so essentially, he had to just watch his family from the outside, and my mom had to become a single parent because of other people's fears, because of other people's own hangups. They completely separated my family.
0: So, what do you want to say to people who don't understand the LGBTQ community and specifically trans
1: community? You have to ask yourself what you're afraid of. That's what my dad did. My dad had a really hard time coming to terms with my transness. And for him, it only really started to stick after he'd asked himself, okay, what am I so afraid of? If my son is my daughter, what am I so afraid of? And I understand that that is much easier said than done, having to actually confront your own prejudices and having to view yourself in a potentially unflattering light is really uncomfortable and really scary. But I think if you are really anybody, because you, you, you never know when your nephew or your child or your grandchild is going to become trans, you know, you have to be prepared for that because you never know when someone in your life is going to come out as trans. And so you really have to ask yourself, what really am I so afraid of in this circumstance? What would be so, so, so terrible if people are just allowed to be who they are? Because that can only benefit everybody. And like, mm-hmm. imagine where we would be as a society if we just stopped policing each other's identities for a second and then we just let people be comfortable in their own skins, because really, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. There is so much in this world that is stressful and terrible, and 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 just and scary and bad. I'm like, shouldn't our bodies, our vessels, the thing we have to carry around with us for our whole lives, shouldn't that be something that we can feel comfortable in? Shouldn't that at least be a safe place for everybody? Every, I think everybody deserves that, not just trans people, cisgender yep. people, gay people, straight people. Um, And that goes for body augmentation, tattoos, piercings, you know, whatever somebody wants to do with their body, with their existence, with their identity. If they're not hurting anybody, I don't understand why anyone should be policed. What you said is
0: so profound because when people act in these prejudiced and discriminatory ways, I don't think that most of the times they're stopping to ask themselves, what is it about me that I'm having this reaction? Yeah. And when they actually confront that, even if they feel like they believed in something else, that they grew up some way and they were taught something about gender identity or any other kinds of differences, like you said, body augmentation, tattoos, whatever. What is the real stakes here? And Totally if the stakes are this person that I care about is going to feel like they can live their lives the way that they were meant to, and it might improve our relationship. Why can't I release myself from whatever fear or whatever cultural upbringing I've had and just let this person be because it doesn't actually change my life that much.
1: Absolutely. But it changes theirs. Yeah. No, it's uh, what, what could be so terrible about, People in your life being happy, yeah, because that's really what it boils down to. Do you want this person that you care about to be happy and comfortable, or do you want them to be stressed out, anxious, depressed, and miserable all the time? Because that's really, at least for a trans perspective, for me, had I not been allowed to transition, that's what my experience and that's what really my existence would be like. It would be. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I would be in a body that I hated. That's why I want to talk about
0: today's supercharged secret, which is to be your own superhero, because in many ways you have been a superhero your entire life. Oh, thank you. And I want to talk to the listeners now about how we can all be our own superhero, no matter what age you are, no matter what phase you are in your life. And I think tip number one is just staying true to yourself. Obviously, being different can be hard and lonely sometimes, but it's so much better to be loved and embraced by the people who truly care about you than to sacrifice your integrity. And that's something that you've been able to do. So, what would you tell the trans youth that are listening? What advice do you have for them about being able
1: to stay the course and just be yourself? Your identity and your body is yours alone, it has nothing to do with. Anybody else in this world. So if, if you want to transition medically, if you just want to transition, um, you know, as far as fashion goes and, and not pursue a medical transition, all, all, or if you don't want to transition at all, all of that is valid. You do not have to pursue anything you don't want to do. You do not have to come out to anybody you don't want to have, you don't want to. You, you literally every option is valid. You Mm -hmm. can do whatever makes you feel best within reason. Stay safe. Do not put yourself in an unsafe situation. I think that's really important, um, especially in quarantine. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of us could be quarantined with with, uh, families or parents who aren't supportive. Um, Don't put yourself, of course, in an unsafe situation. But know that even in that situation, your feelings are still valid. Even if you can't be out, Mm -hmm. you are still valid. You are still a part of the community. And, mm-hmm. and, and we all see you, which yeah. I think because it can be really um, isolating and really lonely. A lot of the time growing up, I didn't have a community until I was in seventh or eighth grade when I went to Camp yeah. um, it, It's I think it's really important to know that, you know, you are still a part of the community and that you're still seen no matter where you are. And you can speak up when you feel
0: ready and you can do whatever you feel like doing when you're ready and when it feels right. Absolutely. It's all about feeling good. Absolutely. It's all about being authentic to yourself and your experiences. Mm -hmm. And tip number two is to do unto yourself as you would for others. Sometimes it feels easier to speak up for other people before yourself. Like it's easier to pour love onto others, but not to yourself.
1: Oh God. Tell me about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, your character, Nia on Supergirl, she went through this transformation too. She had to kind of Mm -hmm. go through her own growing pains and to learn this idea of self-love and self-acceptance. So how do you turn this cultural expectation, which sometimes can be so judgmental into a love that you can have for yourself? Because I think a lot of people in the trans community, they do struggle with self-esteem and self-concept as they're going through this.
1: Oh my God. I mean, I still struggle with all of that. And I think And that's not even just a trans thing. That's just the people deal with that. We, Mm -hmm. Amy Poehler said, you know, we say things to ourselves that we would never say to our friends. So we have to give ourselves a break. And that's something that's really been sticking with me lately, actually, is I've just been trying to remember to give myself a break and, and to be like, you know, would I say this to any other person? Mm Mm-hmm. No. So, why would you say it to yourself? And so, I think it's really important to keep in perspective you know, is what I'm saying true, or is it just my human tendency to be down on myself?
0: And I'm not quite sure
1: why we do that, but I think we, you know, we all kind of have a, a tendency to be harder on ourselves than other people. So I I think that you know we have to kind of just just being aware of that and just trying to keep that in check and knowing that you know we are valid but maybe the mm-hmm. things we are saying to ourselves aren't as valid if you know what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good distinction, and I actually tell tell my patients, and it's a good reminder for myself too, that when you are being negative and when you are using this negative self talk, that. Would you say this to a friend? And then conversely, what would a friend say to you if they heard you say this to yourself? How would they help you? Sometimes we need to call a friend. Tip three for being a superhero in your life is to ask yourself what the opportunity is in this adversity and do something about it. I know it's easy for us to run away from difficulties sometimes or avoid them, but the moments of adversity is sometimes the best moments for growth as a person. I mean, we just finished talking about your landmark case that was a big part of this but mm-hmm. how do you think people can face up to their adversity and try to see opportunity because that's not easy to do it's easy to just go crawl in your bed and not want to face the world again oh
1: totally well the best things worth doing in life i feel like are often the hardest no the right thing to do i think is always the hardest thing to do um you know it was what was it, it was uh Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, do one thing a day that scares you. Um, I think that's true. I think you should do something that scares you. I I think, you know, adversity is something to overcome. It is, it is, they're called hurdles for a reason and not walls or Mm -hmm. rooms without doors. You can get over them. You just have to put conscious effort into doing it. Yeah. It's a decision that we make. and Absolutely the more you get
0: over adversity and actually overcome them, the better you feel about yourself. So there's also that benefit
1: too. Absolutely. You just have more and more like, you just have more stuff under your belt. And you're like, and you know, then after a certain point, you're like, damn, Mm -hmm. I have been like kind of crushing it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then it gives you more confidence as you move forward too. So tip four is to end blame and don't victimize others. We Mm -hmm. lose our superhero status when we set ourselves up as victims and continue Mm -hmm. to blame others for what happened. I mean, obviously people do bad things, but dwelling on this won't help you. Instead, give power to yourself, value yourself. And work on yourself. And for people who aren't as strong as you, sometimes it's tempting to maybe shame them. This is how bullying happens. Bullies oftentimes were bullied themselves. Then they go bully somebody else who they think is weaker than them. And so, how do we stop the blame? Because obviously, there are bad people who do bad things. But mm-hmm. how do we move past it? Because it's easy to get stuck in that negativity.
1: Yeah, I think it, I, I, I definitely, I really want to touch on what you said about, um, you know, sort of um becoming the victim yeah. because i think that is a really really safe way to avoid guilt blame um personal growth all of that if you can just kind of hide behind like this was done to me and i was there was nothing i could do about it then there is kind of nowhere for you to go yeah and it's it's safe it feels easier than having to confront that maybe you did something wrong and maybe you need to adjust something. I've had to do that a lot in my life. And I've had to be like, okay, what did I do in this situation that I could have done better? And it's gross because it's again, it's the same thing as ask, as you know, like conservative dads having to ask themselves what they're afraid of. You know, we have to ask ourselves like, what can I do better? Mm-hmm. What can I it's putting yourself in a negative light. Con- to be constructive versus putting yourself in a negative light just to put yourself down. Yeah. There's a difference. And I think, you know, sort of critiquing yourself and being like, I was not great in that situation. I could do better. Mm -hmm. That can only make you a better person moving forward versus just being like, Oh, well, I don't know why this person got mad at me. Like they, uh, they're just crazy. They're just, they're, I don't know why they've done this to me. I'm like, well, you did hit them with your car, right? So yeah, maybe drive safer. Yeah. So taking
0: our responsibility for our own roles and what we can improve and move forward, stop being the victim. I think that was really important what you said. And the last tip is to avoid your kryptonite. So all superheroes have Weaknesses, Weaknesses,
1: ices, mm -hmm. areas. Honey, honey, (laughs) honey, chocolate cake, honey. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) Oh my God, that's my kryptonite. We all have it.
0: We all have it. Mine is ice cream. So, you know, to tap into your strength as a superhero, you got to avoid your personal kryptonite by finding out what it is and and work on strengthening your weakness. I mean, it could be things like emotional eating or not taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself through exercise, or maybe it's something like you're prone to gossip or talking badly about others. Oh,
1: I am such a chatterbox. Oh, I, yep, been there yep I have to I have to you know and I, I think it's especially as as women it's really easy to get into that it's because re- i think especially the way women are kind of set up to bad mouth other women mm-hmm. you know it's kind of our social norm is to you know kind of like make other women your soapbox. you stand on top of your fallen foes mm-hmm. to you know better your own situation and 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 we're rewarded for that in girl world kind of mm-hmm. so I, I think you know that's also oh, been there been there
0: yeah it's an icky feeling but I know what you're saying about the cultural norms because in some ways when you're gossiping with somebody you feel closer to that person in that moment but it's so temporary because when you walk away from it you kind of feel gross about yourself. And so
1: yeah.
0: we have to find a different way. We have to make a commitment to avoid Things that are our kryptonite, and brainstorm ways to turn that into something pro-social and proactive instead. Because we can all improve, and so you need to know where your weak points are, and avoid them. Because every superhero yeah. has a kryptonite or two. So yeah,
1: for me, it's gossip, and and um, self-doubt is another big one. It's a good one to talk about because a lot of
0: times when we say, oh, we have a crisis of identity, or sometimes we say, oh, we have imposter syndrome. Some of it's related to that self-doubt. And I think it's easy to feel that way. And it's easy to let yourself sink into that negativity, but- Mm There's always a way to get out of it and just totally. keep working on yourself. Don't give up. Things will get better. Nicole, you are an amazing person to talk to. Oh my God. Thank you so much. This has been such a blast. Why well, I could talk to you for more and more hours, I'm sure, but I know that you are very busy. You have to go off to do superhero things. So where can
1: people find you right now? Aside from the okay. show, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram and TikTok and, uh, um, Twitter and now Cameo, all under Nicole A. Mains. Um, So you can find me all there, and you can watch Bit on Demand. Um, it's on digital on Vudu, Amazon, uh, Fandango, and iTunes. And then you can stream uh, the new season of Supergirl on the CW app for free. Fantastic, Nicole is everywhere, guys. Just like a real superhero I everywhere. is. <laughs> I am everywhere.
0: I'm also in y'all dreams. Exactly. So you got to follow Nicole, check out her projects and all of you. Thank you for listening to this episode of supercharged life. If you like this show and you want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho and remember to subscribe, download and tell your friends I'm Dr. Judy. And remember anytime is a great time to supercharge your life.